All right, how we doing, y'all? Almost dropped my iPad. All right, hey, if you have your Bibles with you, turn to John chapter 1. We were there last night. Your, your New Testament starts with four guys' names, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And those are the gospels. That word gospel means? The good news, okay? The good news. And this is what we're unpacking this whole week as we talk about this paw in order is we have this pup right here sitting on trial. And who is this dog? Jesus. Jesus. Good. Okay. And then Buddy, he keeps referring to himself as there's another Buddy, but he's the Buddy, the one without fleas, right? Who is that Buddy? Who's telling this story? John. John. Good. Okay. And then who is the sheep dog who was in here? John the Baptist, good, okay? And this is what we're gonna talk about this morning. We're gonna unpack this story in John chapter one as we talk about who is this Jesus character. Last night we, we said three things about him from John chapter one, right? We said, number one, that Jesus, right? John starts differently than any of the other gospels. He says, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. All things were made through him. Without him, nothing has been made that's in, in that which we see, right? Everything that we see when we look around, all creation was made through him. Which, number one, means Jesus pre-existed time itself. That he was in the beginning. That he is the source of all life. He is the source of all truth. And that he existed in the beginning with God in full equality with God. Hey, this is the Jesus character that we were introduced to last night. We're going to pick up the story right here. Uh, Piper, did y'all, did y'all see Piper this morning kind of running around in the overalls in her super white pumas? They're going to be super white pumas for like 3.4 seconds up here at Hume Light Christian Camps, right? But she's running around um, ever, ever since we've had our new daughter, Phoebe. Uh, Paige and I, my wife, we've kind of doubled down on our nighttime routine. Now that we're playing man-to-man defense, like, all the nighttime routine things have shifted over the last two and a half weeks. And something that we do with Piper every night is either, whether it's Paige or myself, we get her down to bed and we, we sing some songs, we read some books, and then we lay down, we do some nighttime prayers, and then I ask her the same question every night. But over the last couple of weeks, um, I like to mix it up with the songs that we sing. So every once in a while, you know, it's like the traditional, you are my sunshine, my only sunshine, you make me happy, right? You know, like the classic lullabies. But the other night, I was laying her down, and I was like, you know what? Tonight's a Beach Boys night, right? And I'm like laying her down, and I'm like, do my best like lullaby version of like, if everybody had an ocean across the USA, right? Y'all know that song? Then everybody be surfing. I kid you not, the next day, Piper was walking around the house going like this. She was like, a bushy, bushy blonde hairdo. I was like, that's my girl. That's my daughter right there. And then uh, two nights ago, I'm laying her down to, to go to bed, and she's like, I'm like, Piper, do you want any songs tonight? She's like, yeah. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to go to my like, go-tos, the usuals. And she looks at me, and she says, Dada, baby shark. I was like, baby shark? I'm like, nah, nah, nah. Like, I'll, we'll just sing, you know, sunshine or something. You are my sunshine? No, Dad. Baby shark. And so I proceed to do my best, like, lullaby version of, I don't know how you do this as, like, a soothing song, right? I'm like, baby shark, do, 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 baby. I'm like, I don't know how to do this. I don't know how to sing this song in such a way that's not, like, the hype. But Homegirl made me go through, like, baby shark, dada shark, grandpa shark, mama shark, like, all of the sharks. And then I'm laying her down, and we're doing prayers, and 
Piper will, she'll ask me to say thank you to God for the most bizarre things. Like, this girl can pray. And she'll be like, Dada. And I'm like, Piper, what do you want to pray for tonight? She's like, what do you want to give thanks to God for? And she goes, Mama's toes. <laughs> like, I, to be honest, I've never thanked God for my wife's toes. Like, maybe I should, but like, that, that's a prayer that I haven't said before. So it's like, all right, Lord, like, thank you for mama's toes. <laughs> yeah, thank you that they're all there and working and operating. Like, I, this is just a bizarre prayer. And then I say this to Piper. I say, Piper, every night, I say, Piper, what two things do you know to be true? What two things do you know to be true? And by this point, we've been doing this for long enough that she'll rattle off to me, mama and dada love me and God loves me. Mama and dada love me and God loves me. And this is so important to Paige and I that we consistently drip this in and tell my daughter this because we believe wholeheartedly that the, the single most important thing for Piper to understand in life is that she is fully known and fully loved. Because if we operate from that place of being loved, that solves a multitude of issues. If we walked into every single day going, I am fully loved, every single one of us, as we sit here in this chapel this morning, we have this propensity that we want to be accepted, we want to be known, we want to be liked, we want to fit in. And what I want to talk about this morning is how God has given us the greatest story ever told that's hardly ever told in its entirety. I remember last night we talked about this book. That there are 66 different books written by 40 different authors in three different languages on three different continents over a span of 2,000 years that tells one great story. And yet if we're not careful, right, you and I can take this book and it can sit on our shelves. We, we might even have multiple copies of this thing at home. And you can go to a Christian school and, and you can go to a chapel and somebody can open up the Bible or you might even come into chapel this morning and I said, hey, open up your Bible. And you're like, oh, the Bible. If we're not careful, this just can become old hat. Like we look at this and we go like, cool, it's the Bible. We don't open up, like when was the last time you went like this, you opened up the Bible and you were like, oh, the word of God. And like, if I'm being honest with you, like, I'm, I'm a pastor. I do this for a living. I, I, I know that I have a degree studying this book, and if I'm not careful, I can just kind of go, yeah, for sure, it's the Bible. And I can take this for granted. And I love the picture that we get of these dogs, even as Buddy walks around, right? You know, remember when Buddy was explaining, like, the whole story, and every time she would say the master, she'd be like, oh, I just love the master, right? How many of you have a dog at home, okay? Dogs are the best. You want to know Why? You want to know why I love, I have an Australian shepherd named Bandit. You want to know why I absolutely love my dog Bandit? Is every time I get home, every single time, it doesn't matter if Bandit had a good day, a bad day, if he's hungry, if he's tired, he has to pee, I haven't let him out in seven hours. It doesn't matter. Every time I get home, Bandit looks at me and he's like, I love you, right? He doesn't say that, but with his actions, my Australian shepherd doesn't have a tail, right? You know how Aussies have that little like button tail? And so when I get home, homeboy like shakes his whole body. Like everything is shaking. He makes these dino noises and he's like, he's like, and he's so excited to see me. And I love the portrayal of Buddy up here going like the master. Oh, I love that guy. And I wish, I wish I had more of a propensity when I opened up God's word. Or as Isaac stood up here and led us in worship, as we enter into the presence of God, 
If you've been doing that for a while, if you're used to worship, if you're used to the Bible, it's really easy to walk into God's presence and go, hmm, cool, worship. Awesome, the Bible. And the reason my wife and I, every night we ask Piper the question, hey, what two things do you know to be true? And she says, mama and dada love me and God loves me is because I know, I know that I know that I know that I know that I know. There will come a day in Piper's life where she forgets that truth. She forgets that her mom and dad love her no matter what. And she forgets that the God of the universe loves her no matter what. Because we all have a propensity to forget. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, God gives his people a word. And it's, it's called the Shema. And it's something that little kids would have known, like little Jewish boys and girls would have known from the first moments they could have spoken. They would have, they would have been able to repeat this phrase, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength. This was just like, it was just on repeat for them. Why? Because God knows that we forget. 352 times the Bible explicitly tells us to remember. If you look at variants of the word remember, it's over 550 times the Bible's just going to go, hey, remember, 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 remember. Why? Because we forget. Right? In Joshua chapter 3 and 4, the nation of Israel is going to pass over the Jordan River into the promised land, and God's going to go, hey, stop right here. Pause, nation of Israel. In the middle of the Jordan River, I want you to stop and I want you to pick up 12 stones and I want you to carry them to the other side of the Jordan River and I want you to pile these 12 stones up high and they're like, whoa, whoa, wait, God, why? Like, why are we, we're trying to get into the promised land. We're trying to cross over a river safely. Like, why are we stopping in the middle of the river to pick up stones? And God says this in Joshua chapter four. He says, I know that I know that I know that you are forgetful people and that you're gonna come into this promised land and once you move into these houses that you didn't build and you, you have these fields that you didn't plant and you have these wells of fresh water that you didn't dig, once you're comfortable, once you're cozy in the promised land, you're gonna forget who brought you here. And so he says, pick up these 12 stones. And every time you walk past these 12 stones, every time your children walk past these 12 stones, every time your grandchildren walk past these 12 stones, do you know what I want you to do? They're going to go, Grandpa? You know what my daughter calls uh, my wife's dad? This is, I love what kids turn grandma and grandpa into, right? There's like the most creative phrases these days. My, my parents are papa and grandma girl right? Like fairly normal. Yeah, grandma girl. I don't know why, okay? But my, my wife's parents are Gaga and Pookie, okay? Y'all, like this is the best thing ever. So if Piper was walking past these 12 stones, she went, Pookie? <laughs> I can't even say that without laughing. Pookie, why are these 12 stones here? The, the goal, the heart was that grandparents would be able to tell their grandchildren, these 12 stones are here because let me tell you about who this God is. And let me tell you about what he has done. Friend, why would it be so important for the God of the universe to remind his people about who he is and what he's done? Can we throw it back to Genesis chapter 3? Do you remember this last night? Genesis chapter 3, we have a crafty enemy that says these four words that changed the course of history. Did God really say? Did God really say? And our enemy tries to get us to doubt 
Who is God and what does he say? And so God has given us things like these 12 stones. He's given us things like the Shema. Hero Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength. Why? Because you and I in our comfort, you and I in just like the regularness of day-to-day life, we just kind of go, we can forget who God is. And if we forget who God is and we forget what he says, it's really easy to just start distrusting that God. And God will give us his word to say, this is who I am and this is what life is all about. But it's easy for you and me, my friend, to start going, eh, is that really who God is? Is that really what God says? So let's dive into John chapter one. And I want to look at this John the Baptist character. I want to understand a little bit more of what John's getting after as he opens up this book. Okay, so John chapter 1, last night we read up to verse 5. We're going to start in verse 6. Okay, and I, I want to I just remind you and double down on something real quick. Okay, my two commitments to you are, number one, everything we talk about is going to come straight from this book. Number two, I'm going to treat you like adults. Okay, my commitment that I ask back from you is in the middle of like the sleepiness of a Tuesday morning. Okay, this is where, this is like your, this is your shot, right? If you've kind of settled into that chair, and you're like, mm, this is nice. Hey, this is your moment where I need, to, I need to double down on your commitment to me is that you lean in in this moment. Okay, so look, look at the person to your left. Look at the person to your right. Okay, wake up a little bit. Let's, let's wake up. Let's, let's sit up. Let's grab our Bibles. John chapter 1, verse 6. Okay, are we awake? Are we alive? All right, John chapter 1, verse 6. Meadow Ranch, oh, not Meadow Ranch, O-E-S-E, John chapter 1, verse 6, if you're there, and let me hear a nice, loud preach. Preach. Hey, that's what's up, okay? John chapter 1, verse 6 says this, there was a man sent from God whose name was John, okay? This is the who, though, John the? John the Baptist, good, okay? There was a man sent from God, his name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. Hey, does that make sense? So John the Baptist comes in. And remember, uh, the dog up here, the Pharisee, was like, you have quite the following yourself. And he's like, look, I just came as a witness to the, the pup. I came as a witness to the master, to this dog that's been sent by the master. He goes, this isn't about me. He came to point to the truth, to point to life himself. Verse 9 says, the true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, this is Jesus, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet, to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, nor of husband's will, but born of God. And then this verse right here is where I want to land. John chapter 1, verse 14. The word became what? flesh and made his what? Dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of grace and truth. See, I love that God gives us this verse. The word became flesh. So in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, and the word was God. The word is who? Last night you said word equals? Jesus. Jesus. Good. If you said God, good, okay? Because he pre-existed time. He himself is the source of life and he's equal with God. 
But it says, the word, a.k.a. Jesus became flesh and made his dwelling among us. See, if you're taking notes this morning, I just want you to write this, these words down, okay? God desires to be with us. God desires to be with us. Where do we see this in the Bible? In Genesis chapter 3. When sin enters into the picture, we talked about this last night, did God really say Adam and Eve choose their way, what they want, when they want it, how they want it? Sin is any thought, word, action, or attitude that goes against God's design or direction for our life. So Adam and Eve choose sin. And then I love the very next thing we see is that God is walking in the cool of the day in the garden. And you know what he says to Adam and Eve? He says, where are you? Now, OESE, an all-knowing, all-powerful God, did God lose Adam and Eve? No. God's not like, shoot, I left, I left them literally right here, two humans, and I lost them, right? Like, no, the God of the universe didn't lose Adam and Eve. This is a relational cry. When he says, where are you? This is like the moment where I tell Piper that she can't have chocolate, and she's got like the chocolate drool going down on her mouth, and I look at her, and I said, Piper, did you have chocolate? Am I asking if my daughter ate chocolate? No. It's a relational cry, right? It's me going, hey, I'm, I'm going to enter into this moment, and we're going to talk about what just happened. So when God says, where are you, there's an invitation here. Why? God desires to be with us. Post-Egypt, uh, when God brings the nation of Israel out of Egypt, he sets up this thing called the tabernacle. And it's like this tent in which God would dwell in the tent so his people could come and meet with him inside this tent. And it was called a tabernacle. Do you know in John chapter 1, verse 14, when it says the word became flesh and made his dwelling? Hey, remember when I said the, the Bible was written in three different languages? Your Old Testament is written in a language called Hebrew. Right? Your New Testament is written mostly in Greek with a little bit of Aramaic in there. This word dwelling in the original language, is literally translated as tabernacle. So John chapter 1, verse 14, the author John, buddy, is going, hey, 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 get this. Ready? Oh, this is going to be a good one. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. All things were made through this Word, and then get this, the Word became flesh and tabernacled amongst his people. And you and I read that and we go like, cool, neato. If you would have read this in a first century Jewish setting in the original Greek and saw that word tabernacle, you instantly would have gone, what? This God, the same God of the Old Testament, this God desires to be with his people and so he gives us Jesus, who makes his dwelling among us. Why is this such a big deal? Hey, John chapter one, sent the, the, John the Baptist, right? This sheepdog here comes to make 
a straight way for the pup. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 3, says that uh, there would be one that would come that would make a, a wide path in the wilderness. And he's going to point to Jesus. And then when Jesus leaves, right, which we're going to get to tonight, we're going to talk more about this Jesus character, but when Jesus leaves, he's going to give us not just his words, but he's going to give us the gift of the Holy Spirit. And again, we're going to unpack this more this week. But between Jesus, the Holy Spirit, and his word, we start to be able to dive into, okay, who is this God and what has he said? So if you're anything like me, um, sometimes I'll lay in bed at night and pray and be like, God, I just, wish you would, I, just, I just wish you would show up to me. I kid you not, when I was in high school, I lived in Ecuador, which is on the equator, which means there's like one season year-round and it's hot. And I remember laying in bed one night looking out my window saying, God, if you make it snow right now, I'll know. Like, I'll really know that you're real. You ever, you ever said a prayer like that? Like, just something kind of like out there. You're like, God, if you, if you... And I now look back at that prayer and go, like, is God capable of doing that? Sure. But I go, God, I'll really know that you're real. I'll really know that you care for me. And sometimes I think God looks at us and goes, hey, I, I've already revealed myself to you. I've already told you my story. The word already became flesh. I already gave you Jesus. I've already demonstrated what love looks like. But here's where I think uh, we fall into some traps of, of certain myths when it comes to this book. See, in 2023, we find ourselves in a cultural moment. We find ourselves in a day and age where people will say this is just a self-help book. A self-help book. That you can open it up, and it has some good moral teachings. Right? Like You'd be hard-pressed as a parent to find a parenting principle that you want something that's best for your kids that doesn't find its rooting and grounding in Scripture. It's really difficult. Like, if you love your son and or love your daughter and you want life, you want the best thing for them, try and find a principle, a parenting principle that doesn't find its rooting and grounding in this book. It's hard. And yet, this isn't just a self-help book. One of the other myths that I think it, when it comes to the Bible is that this is like, uh, y'all seen Toy Story? Hey, you know the scene with uh, Woody where he's got the like magic eight ball? And you know those magic eight balls where you shake it and you're like, um, am I going to be happy this week? And you're like, and you open it up and it's like, not a chance. And you're like, let's try again, right? And, like, and you just shake it up again. Sometimes I think that one of the myths of this book is this book is like the magic eight ball. And we go like, all right, Lord, what do you have for me today? We open it up and we're like, mm, let's see. Hear me, my God, as I voice my complaint. Protect my life from the threat of the enemy. Oh, man, that's so good. I do have an enemy. Wow, thank you, Lord. Amen. And we open it up and we shake it up and we go, how does this apply for me today? And we might write, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength on like, a, on like our cleat. And we score a touchdown and we're like, big G. And we, we mistake that this is not a self-help book. This is not a magic eight ball. Right? Sometimes we look at this and we think that this book, because it's 2,000 years old, it can be altered like a game of telephone. We might go down here and, what's your name, homie? Samuel. And I might, like, y'all ever played telephone before? You ever played this game? Where, like, if I went to Samuel and I whispered in Samuel's ear, the elephant has pink toenails. It's really hard to whisper when you have a microphone on. And, and I just whispered that to Samuel, and then Samuel turned to, what's your name? Trinity, and then Tr Trinity whispered that too? Paisley. Paisley, and then Paisley whispered it too? Audrey. 
Aubrey, I thought you said happy. I was like, that's awesome, right? <laughs> Aubrey's awesome too. And we just, we like worked our way and we snaked our way all the way through this chapel, all the way to the back. And by the time we got back to, what's your name, my guy? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Huh? Benji? Kenji? That's what's up. Swag, okay? Hey, if we started right here with Samuel and we worked our way all the way through the chapel and then we got all the way back to Kenji and I was like, Kenji, what was the original message? And he's like, uh, monkeys wear orange hats. It's like, ah, dang it. Right? This is how telephone works. Right? The, the message gets altered as it gets passed down and we miss the original intent. And so many people today, if you have like a TikTok theology or a YouTube theology where you hop online, people will go like, Psh, this book is full of errors. It's 2,000 years old. It's not culturally relevant. It's like a game of telephone. It's been passed down over and over and over again and we're missing it. The only problem with that, friend, is we have more original copies of this book than any book that's ever been written. We can go back to the original manuscripts and the precise copies that we have of the original manuscripts are in the thousands and compared to any other text that we've ever had, this book stands the test of time. And so I want to just give you a quick acronym as we finish here that, that will help us understand and remember how can we, can we trust that this book is what it is. If you're sitting in here and you came, to, you came to, to, to camp this week, you came to chapel this morning, and you're like, I trust the Bible, I believe in the Bible, then friend, this is just going to help solidify your foundation. But maybe you're sitting here and you go like, I don't know about that thing. I don't know about this God. I don't know about this camp. I don't know about this Bible. Hey, let me just, let me just challenge you a little bit. And remember, I told you I'm going to treat you like an adult, and this is where I'm going to challenge you to lean in. And again, if you're wrestling with this, the best thing you can do is keep wrestling. Have a follow-up conversation with a counselor, with a teacher. Hey, lean in this week, and I'm going to just give you these four, these four words. Okay? It's the word fast. So if you're taking notes and you just want to write F. A-S-T, just like on top of each other like that. I'm going to give you an acronym that will help us remember what is this Bible and can we trust it? Hey, F is for final. Final. Okay? And final is, here's what it means. If you want to write final and then right next to it, just write down no additional books or revelations. See, second uh, sorry, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12 says, The word of God is alive and active. It's sharper than a double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. See, God's word that we have, Genesis to Revelation, it's final. There's no additional revelation. There's no additional uh, teaching or uh, no additional books that will be added to this. The book that we have today, the Bible, is final. Now, can God speak today? Absolutely. Can God reveal himself to you? Absolutely. But the book that we have in front of us, this book, as far as it's concerned when it comes to revealing the character of who God is and what he has spoken, is the final book that we need. Okay, the A is authoritative. Authoritative. This is the highest word of God on faith and morality. 
2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 through 17 says, All scripture is God-breathed. This word, breathed out by God, is the only time we see this word in all of the Bible. That it's, it's literally spoken out that these are God's words. It's why, um, anybody, anybody like to read? Where are my readers at? What's your favorite book? Yeah. Okay, well, A+. plus. Okay, what's your other favorite book? Huh? Come on, just give me one. One book that you, like, love. Like, are you a Harry, are you a Harry Potter fan? Okay, how many times have you read the Harry Potter books? You don't reread books? Why would you read books when you can read another book? That's fair. That's fair. Does anybody have a book that they've reread? What, what book have you reread, my man? The Hobbit. How many times have you read it? Three times. Okay, okay, okay. Reading The Hobbit three times is like a workout, okay? Like, that's a lot of times to read The Hobbit. And yet, you can read The Hobbit, and you can start it, and you can finish it. You can read it three times, and it's like, whoa. That's a lot. Maybe, maybe you even read it a fourth time. But you know the story. Here's the crazy thing about the Bible, right? It's authoritative. It's breathed out by God in such a way that you could read this entire thing and then read it again and read it again and read it again until you're 96 years old. And because it's breathed out by the God of the universe, it will continue to reveal the character of who God is in new ways. I could read a verse and then a month later or 10 years later read it again and it could speak something totally different to me. This book is authoritative. It's breathed out by God. It's useful for teaching, correcting, rebuking, and training in righteousness. S is sufficient. It's all we need to understand salvation. It's everything we need to understand and to know God and how we must be saved is found in this book. This book is not God itself, but through this book, God reveals himself to us. It's, a, it's final, it's authoritative, it's sufficient, and finally, it's trustworthy. The historical claims of the Bible can be verified. Did you know that there's been over 25,000 archaeological digs that have confirmed the truth of the historical uh, facts in the Bible? 25,000 archaeological digs. Over the last 2,000 years, the amount of people that have set out to dig into the ground to find some sort of historical archaeological fact that debunks scripture, time after time after time after time after time again, those archaeological digs, they come out to confirm the historicity, the, the trustworthiness of this text. Here's one of my favorite facts, and we're just going to finish with this. Uh, there, are, there are about over, a little over 300 prophecies in the Old Testament about Jesus. Right? For example, in the Old Testament, it said that there would come a Savior. There would come a Messiah, a promised one that would be born in a town called Bethlehem. And then when we read the Christmas story, we know that uh, Mary and Joseph, they have to go because of a census to a town called Bethlehem. And now, friends, on this side of the story, like 2,000 years later, we can read that and go, whoa, cool, right? But if, if you were sitting in Old Testament times, and you were over here, and you were writing scripture, and you would say, there's going to come a Messiah, a promised one, a Savior, and he's going to be born in Bethlehem, the world's most random town. It's like this teensy, tiny, random town. Like, this isn't like saying, like, um, I have a feeling some of you are going to be driving south and you're going to go through Los Angeles 
And you're like, whoa, he's a prophet. No, right? Like that's like the most, like it's such a broad statement. But to write in Old Testament times and say, there's gonna come a savior, he's gonna be born in Bethlehem, and then a savior comes like a thousand years later and he's born in Bethlehem, you're like, huh? Mind blown, okay? But here's the thing, for just one of those to come true is like, okay, lucky guess. In the, in the Old Testament, you have about 300, a little over 300 prophecies about Jesus. Do you know the probability Hey, I'm going to talk to you math nerds for just a second, okay? The probability, math nerds just like me. The probability of eight, just eight of those 300 prophecies coming true, do you know what the number is? The probability of that coming true is one times 10 to the 17th power. That's, that's 10 with 17 zeros past it. The chances of just eight of those prophecies... Eight out of the 300 coming true. That's how unlikely that is to happen. Okay, where are my people that hate math? Okay, let me talk to you for just a second. Um, show me the, you that hate math. My man right here in the green sweatshirt. What's your name? Hunter. Huh? Hunter. Hunter. Okay, Hunter. The probability of just eight of those 300 coming true is like this. Hunter, if I were to take you up in a helicopter... Okay, and we flew to the state of Texas, and I took the state of Texas, the whole state, and I just, I filled it two feet deep with quarters, you know, like 25 cent pieces, just quarters. The entire state of Texas, two feet deep, 24 inches, and then I took one quarter, and I blindfolded Hunter, and I just marked an X on that quarter, a big red X on that quarter. And then I buried it somewhere in the state of Texas. And then I was like, Hunter, I'm going to take you in a helicopter. Wherever you want me to stop, you tell me to stop. I'm going to blindfold you. You got one shot. Find my quarter. Hunter, there, none of us would go like, ooh, he's going to find it. No, you'd be like, wait, what? This is ludicrous. The state of Texas? Right? Like, like Two feet deep? Find one quarter? That's not possible. And that's where we look at the Bible, friend. And when we start diving into this book for ourselves and we understand, like, the Bible is not boring. The only reason you might think it's boring is because you haven't read it. When we dive into this book for ourselves and we start understanding that it is final, authoritative, sufficient, and trustworthy, we look at things like the 300 prophecies of the Old Testament, and just for eight of them to come true, we see the unlikely odds. And yet we see every single one of those prophecies about Jesus come true. And we go, what do we do with this? What do we do with this Jesus? What do we do with this Bible? The answer is to either follow this Jesus and dive into his word or to reject that Jesus and come up with the sufficient explanation of why this isn't true. And so again, I'm gonna challenge you, fifth grader, sixth grader, seventh grader, eighth grader, I know this is a lot and I know there's a lot here, but if you choose to lean into this and wrestle with it, this week, I promise you, the God behind the Bible wants to meet with you. We don't have to have it all figured out. We don't have to have all the answers. And yet the worst thing we can do is just kind of settle into our chair and go, eh. The best thing you can do is go, okay, if this Jesus was in the beginning, 
if he is the source of life and truth itself, if he is equal with God, if he has given us his word, if that Jesus has become flesh and tabernacle, made his dwelling among us, I gotta do something with this Jesus. We're gonna talk about more about this character tonight, but for now, let me pray for us, and then we're gonna dive in. God, thank you for this morning. Thank you for your word. God, I just ask boldly that the fifth graders, sixth graders, seventh graders, eighth graders in this room, God, that we would take your word seriously. God, that you would raise up mighty men and women in this room that desire to follow you. And even though we might not have all the answers, God, in the midst of our doubts, in the midst of our fears, in the midst of the unknown, God, would we continue to wrestle? Would we lean in? Would we ask hard questions? We love you. Thanks for loving us first. It's your name we pray.